The reason it's called Kiddushim is pretty obvious. It says, uh, you shall be holy, Kiddushim, for I, the Lord, am holy. Um, most of us know the term and the word for holy is Kadosh. So when we think of the term Kedoshim, it's actually a plural word. Kedoshim is plural for Kadosh. So why is it plural and not singular? Uh, the simple answer is that it's just in the tense of the word you. And in this case, you is a plural because it's talking to all of Israel. So when the object of the sentence is plural, the descriptor has to also be plural as well. This is very common in many languages, such as Spanish. If you're going to say beautiful house, it would be casa bella or bonita. But if you're going to say beautiful homes or houses and you go casas, bonitas, you have to pluralize the descriptor to match the object. So it's the same thing here in the Hebrew. You is plural. So holy is not kadosh, it's kedoshim, plural. But there's another reason, the way I see it, why it's kedoshim, plural, and not just holy, singular, because we see this is the first verse in the Torah portion. You shall be holy for I, the Lord, Adonai, your God, am holy. But if you go all the way to the end of the Torah portion, you see another sentence. You shall be holy, similar to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. So you actually see two holy statements in this Torah portion, and all of the instructions on how to live holy is sandwiched between the two holies. So that's why, at the way that I see it, one rabbi's account, you may not find it in the Talmud, but the way I see it, there are two holy statements in this Torah portion, one in the beginning, one in the end, and in between are all the ways that we can live holy and should live holy. It's very similar to the verse that Yeshua spoke when he was reciting the Beatitudes. You shall be, except he brings it to a whole nother level <laughs> or at least another definition or interpretation of what it means to be holy. He said, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Though well, that causes a bit of a problem and I'm glad Pastor Rob back there said, amen. But most people read that and go, oy vey. That is a problem because it's really hard to be perfect as our Father in Heaven is perfect. Because even though the commandments are perfect, the problem is not in the commandments. The problem is with us. So, well, let me, let me put it this way. I'm, when people ask me what I do for a living... I tell them that I'm a project manager by day and a messianic rabbi by night. But before I was either of them, I was a computer programmer. 
And I always loved computer programming. Computer programming. I loved doing it. I was a kid. I remember in my my super futuristic, supercharged Commodore VIC-20, writing programs, and I, I really learned how to program on that. I remember when I got upgraded from the VIC-20 to the anybody, anybody. The Commodore 64, supercharged, went from a little tape drive to a floppy disk drive. Like, this is like high tech. And I learned how to program, and I was a computer programmer. It really led me to go into that as a career. And I was a computer programmer for most of my working life. Uh, I still try to stay up to date a little bit on those skills. Um, for instance, this is way too much personal information, but I'm getting somewhere with this. That um, I try to, I have a, a, a on my phone, I have a vocabulary app to try to learn more vocabulary. You know, it's important to me to kind of stay healthy bodily wise, and it's also important to me to stay healthy in my mind. And one of the things I do is learn vocabulary words. So I can sharpen my, my mental acuity. And it's the vocabulary app where I learned the word acuity. <laughs> so anyway, I was using that app. And then they made a change to the app, which made it very useless for me. And it really upset me. So I took about an hour, and I just programmed my own. And I use it to this day. Thank you very much. I get a couple of claps on that one. So anyway, I, anyway, so I, I still remember how to compute. I, you know, two nights ago, I don't know why I'm saying all this personal thing. It means nothing to the sermon. But about two nights ago, I wrote a little computer program because I am hoping to actually retire from the corporate world when I, yeah, yeah, you better believe it, sister, here, here, when I'm 55. So that'll be in, in two years and two months. I'm really hoping and praying that I'll be able to do it. And um, I'm so excited about that, that I wrote a computer program that emails me every single day with the number of days I have to go till retirement. I'm not kidding. So this morning I got there is 790 days to go, which equals two years and two months. You know, it wasn't a perfect program. I had to average it out to a 30-day month, but it's close enough. It'll, it'll, it'll be perfect once I get closer. So all of that to say this, that I know how to computer program. I know how to program computers because, you know, when I was doing it for a living, I was pretty good at it. I was good at it. You know, I knew how to make this thing shake, rattle, and roll, rattle, and hum, do backflips. I really enjoyed doing computer programming before they yanked me out of there and into project management. But anyway, um, one thing that is true about computers is that they don't make mistakes. If they make a mistake, it's the problem with the programmer. It ain't the problem with the computer. If I program the computer to do something, it is going to operate exactly as I told it to without exception. So if, if there is a bug or a defect in, in what is happening, it's not a problem with the thing, it's a problem with me. And I got to figure out where I went wrong in programming this thing and telling this computer what to do because it's not doing what I thought it was going to do, so I gave it the wrong code. I coded it wrong. It's the opposite with the Lord, 
Because his code is perfect. The commands between the holies in our Torah portion are perfect. There ain't nothing wrong with the program. There's nothing wrong with the code. The bug, the defect, is us. It's the opposite. Because we are not computers. But there's a remedy. Because a computer has, the computer doesn't have something that we have. The computer, see, we have something. See, in the computer, you got the programmer who gives the program and the computer just runs with it. Without error, ever. But we have something. We have the code that was given to us by God, the program, and we're able to run with it. But there's something in the middle of the program and us running with it that we have that a computer doesn't have. And that is a heart, a deceitful heart, and a messed up mind. The computer doesn't have a heart. It's like the Tin Man. Nor does it have a brain. It's like the scarecrow. We are like when the Tin Man and the scarecrow were cursed with this heart and a brain that gets in the way of us running the code perfectly. But there's good news. Because our walk with Messiah doesn't just leave it to us in how well we are crafted as a computer. It knows that we're messed up. We're a broken computer. But there's a promise that he's going to give us a new heart. Ezekiel spoke about it. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then there's another place in Corinthians. He, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Like, who knows you know, how God's ways and how to, how to run with his code without defect. Nobody. But we have the mind of Messiah. And this really in lies the difference between traditional rabbinic Judaism and messianic Judaism. Rabbinic Judaism will leave it at that place. Like, these are the, these are the programs of God. This is his code. Go run with it as best as you can period. But in Messiah, there's something else. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new mind. He doesn't leave us to our own abilities because we are worse than a Commodore VIC-20. We're like a Timex Sinclair. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. 80s computers. But even though he gives us the new heart, and the new mind, it still doesn't perfect us in that. Because there's still a challenge. There's still a problem. We still wrestle with these things. We still don't do it perfectly. We still don't do it perfectly. Paul speaks about it in great detail in Romans 7, where he speaks about the two natures that are at war. And just to extract a little bit from what he wrote, he says he agrees with the law of God. He looked through the programming, he doesn't see any error in it. It's perfect. It's perfect code. It's not spaghetti code. People that program know that term. That's when you're just coding way, 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 way too much. The Talmud is spaghetti code. No, that was 
I'll move on from that. For I joyfully agree with the law of God in the, in the inner person, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war, war against the law of my mind. So there's still, even with the Messiah, even with that new mind and with that new heart that he promises that he gives us when we accept him, there's still a wrestle. We're not perfect. We don't do it perfectly. We grow in it. We're not perfect, but we grow in it. Even Paul, this is mature Paul, this is later on in his ministry and in his, in his, in his journeys, in his missionary journeys, he even says that I have not grasped at all or have become perfect. So we have Messiah saying be perfect, and here's even a mature Paul saying I didn't become perfect. We just don't, we don't exactly get to that level even still. But he says let us grow up in all aspects into him. See, he says, Yeshua said, be perfect, for I am perfect. But the problem is, perfect, the word perfect is a problematic word. Because perfect really is the enemy of progress. And when we seek perfection, and we hold ourselves to a standard of perfection, sometimes we miss out on the progress. But he's saying, let us grow into all aspects of into him who is the head, who is the Messiah. The progress is what we go for. We don't hit perfect, but we progress. And that's our walk with the Messiah. And we grow into all aspects into him who is the head, who is the Messiah. There's another verse that I want to share about, but about Messiah being the head and what happens with this head transplant that he gives us. He gives us a new mind. He gives us a new heart. So there's a scripture in Luke um, well, in Luke 10, this is when Yeshua called out 70 people, 70. That's, by the way, prophetic in a number of ways. It, it's, 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 it equates to the 70 elders that Moses had to anoint, but it also equates to the 70 nations because of the book of Genesis say that the nations, 70 nations, Jewish Judaism views the world as 70 nations, 70 nations. So when he sent out 70 people, it's actually prophetic for his people going out to the world. So he sent out 70, and this is when, you know, you go to the home, and you knock on the door, and you, you, you stay there, and you preach, and you tell them about the kingdom, and if they receive you, they receive me who sent you. If they don't receive you, go away. This is where you see these, these verses, but in the, in the end of the chapter before, in verse 9, we see him vetting the people. And getting to this 70, you see somebody coming and saying, I'll follow you anywhere. And you get somebody coming to him and saying, well, I'll follow you, but I got to go bury my dad. And you got somebody saying, well, I'll follow you, but I got to go say goodbye. He's vetting the people. But in the middle of that, he says this very odd verse, which is hard to understand what, with this, what this verse has anything to do with what he's talking about, with gathering this group of 70 who's going to go out and essentially evangelize about the kingdom. He says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, what does that mean? I mean I'm not sure exactly in the plain sense what exactly that means, but I'll tell you one thing. In the verse that we just read from Paul, it says that Messiah is the head. Messiah is the head. So when he says, in my mind, when the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, he's not looking for an Airbnb. He's looking for a body. For he is the head. And you are the body. And this is that brain transplant. That he puts his head on his body so he can operate the body. 
So there's something else that happens when he gives us his head. When he, we have that brain transplant, when he gives us the head, it's not that all of a sudden we get to operate and do and run the code between the holies perfectly. All those verses between the two holies. You shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be holy for I. We still don't do it perfectly. We progress towards perfection. But we still don't do it holy. We just still don't do it perfectly. But there's something else that happens when he gives us his mind. He instills in you a gift that is needed to change the world. And this is why this head transplant, the son of man, needs a place to lay his head, a body to put his head on. Why is that right in the middle of verses about evangelism? Because he gives you something that the world needs. And we are so stuck in looking at our flesh, looking at our shortcomings, looking at our health deficiencies and our wealth deficiencies and our personality flaws or whatever it is that makes us think that we're just less than, that we're unworthy, that we're, that we're just less than. And we spend so much time thinking of this. I believe that Adonai wants us at this hour to put that away. And recognize that he gave you a mind transplant. The son of man found the place to lay his head. It's you. And that's where he wants us to, to focus on. And not all the old man's stuff, because the old man's stuff gets in the way, because he gave you that head so you can manifest him, so you can share him, so you can be his advocate wherever you go. And I believe that this is more important now, because like I spoke about last week, that this distinction between the holy and the profane is really becoming very much wider. That the world is going in a very, very dark direction and and we're gonna have to really lock ourselves in between the holies of what God's word is versus what the world is saying and we have to recognize that when he sends us out we have something I don't care if you're not feeling well I don't care if you're sick I don't care if this if you're if you're so behind on your mortgage there is something that God has given you that is not meant to stay in you. And this is absolutely true. It's not just the ability to do the between the holies. That's progression. But he gives you something that is needed in this world. Each and every one of you. There's a verse that speaks about that. Paul talks about it. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us. See, if I was a church pastor, I would say, repeat, each of us. I, but I'm not a church pastor, so I won't tell you to do that. Is to use them properly. Each of us. None of us are exempt from using what he gave us. It's not meant to stay in us. It's meant to be used. This is why he gave us his head. This is why he went... This is why. 
you have something that is needed in this world. And it's needed now. I'm telling you it's needed now. It's not needed then. It might have been needed then, but it's needed now more. More. The world needs him now. When he sent out the 70, it's prophetic to us when we're going to go to the nations, the 70 nations. It's needed. And when they receive you, they receive him. It is needed to be, to be able to use that seed, that gift that he gave you. And it's very different for each because it says it's different. It differs. It differs to, according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to use them properly. Your gift is different from mine. You know, I'm very, I'm, I always love the scripture here in Acts 4. Um, now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Yeshua. I love that. I love that. It speaks to me so much now that I'm writing a book on like answering Jewish objections to Jesus or countering counter missionaries that I'm not educated in this way. I'm the computer programmer. I didn't go to Yeshiva University. Do you understand what I'm saying? But I'm, I have to engage people who did. And I pray as I do this humbly that it's a similar spirit. May it be a similar spirit as I bring this forth. Like this guy's uneducated. And may they be amazed at things that come forth. Because God gives us stuff that's outside of what we can do in our own. And that is the case for every single one. It might be something different for you. But God gave you something that has nothing to do with your upbringing. Nothing to do with your personal gifts or things you were good at. He gives you something spiritual that's new. That's needed. New and needed. Always. That's every single one. And we must recognize it in this hour. If we don't recognize it in this hour, there's a dying, dying world out there that is missing out. And if he doesn't raise up you to do it, he'll raise up another. But you are called for such a time as this. You are called for such a time as this. Let me tell you something. There's, this, there's a, a paradigm we see in scripture. And in Hebrews 13, it says, don't neglect the hospitality to strangers, right? Don't neglect hospitality. For some may... For by this, some have entertained angels, unaware, right? And we know that. And we see this in scripture in various, various places where angels came to visit. Visited Abraham, or visited Joshua, or visited Gideon, or visited um, uh, some others, right? Um, you know, it's an angel. So, so an angel came and visited. But then in many of these cases, as we read... It actually calls the angel yud Hey vav Hey. I don't know if anybody's ever noticed that. But there are times as the angel of the Lord visited Gideon. And then it's called that the angel is later on called the Lord. I mean, there's actually rabbinic discussion about these things. Uh, but, you know, and, and I personally believe that that's actually pre-incarnate Yeshua. That's what I believe. That's what, because the angel's really a messenger. So when the messenger of God goes to visit and is actually called yud Hey vav Hey, I personally believe that's actually Messiah. Right? That's, that's what I believe. But... There's something else that we have to realize when the angel of the Lord is given the name of the Lord. And that is this equation that the messenger has with, with the one giving the message. There's a unity. When you go in the name of Yeshua, it is as if he is going before them. And you are one with Yeshua and he is one with his father. And we can't lose sight of that. 
We just can't lose sight of that. If we lose sight of that, we're, we're operating too much in the natural. We have to recognize that the messenger is one. He goes in that name, in that authority. So in this case, don't neglect. He's telling us, charging us, don't neglect hospitality to strangers. There might be an angel. I want to twist that around to say, you're the angel when you go visit someone. You're the messenger of God. Yeah, sure. Okay, be hospitable. Let people in. You never know who you're going to visit. People are saying that also. Oh, people are reading this right now. Somewhere are saying, oh, yeah, I better be hospitable because I don't know who I'm going to have enter my home. You're the person. You're that messenger of God. You're the one that carries the name of God with you. You're the one that has that head transplant from Yeshua. So always remember that. Always remember that. And remember what John said, and this is in all the Gospels. I say to you, the one who receives anyone I send receives me. If they receive you, they receive him. And if they receive him, they receive the one who sent him. Do you see this equation? We cannot negate or neglect this. And you have the ingredient, the gift to impart the reality of who Yeshua is to someone else. I'm not saying you ha everybody has to be like a stereotypical evangelist and be handing out materials or something like that. Every, it's just a way it could be very different for certain people. I I'll tell you a personal story, an anecdote, and I learned the word anecdote. Um, you could tell that before I used that app, my vocabulary really stunk. Anyway. So, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who receives anyone I send, receives me. This is Yeshua talking, and the one who receives me, receives him who sent me. I remember when I was talking to my dad as, um, as he was really in the latter stages of his Alzheimer's before he passed away. And my father and my mother always were atheists. Uh, even as I grew up in my home, even though they sent me to religious school, they sent me to uh, yeshiva as a, as a grammar school child. And for a couple of years, went to full, you know, Hebrew summer camp, sleep away summer camp. They sent me to a lot of Jewish things. They were atheists, proud, hubristic atheists. Anyway, so... Um, Always atheistic. And my father, of blessed memory, he uh, started to deteriorate with Alzheimer's. This is when we all lived in New Jersey. I was on, on mission or on route to move to Rhode Island, and I couldn't leave my father there. So I brought him with me, and he wound up going into an assisted living place. And I remember he, he was so scared to live in New Jersey alone because he knew that his mind was going, and he was so scared. So when I brought him there, and he saw his new place, and he felt so safe, I remember him just crying, and I, I would go to his apartment in the assisted living facility, and he'd be, like, wearing his yarmulke. You know? And he'd have, like, the shema on his screen because, like, he, he just felt like God rescued him. Yeah, and then there was, you know, but... But he was an atheist, and it, it never fully clicked. And I remember a couple of years later, and his, his, his Alzheimer's 
His dementia was worse than it was. And I remember him telling me how sorry he feels that he just doesn't believe in God. And he was just being candid with me and open. He says, I'm, I know you believe. I just, it just doesn't equate with me. It doesn't make sense. I, I wish I believed. It sounds like a good thing. I just don't believe. And then this verse came into my mind. And this might sound a little theologically off. But I said, Dad, do you believe that God sent me to you because he always looked at me as his caretaker and even though he spent a couple of years or almost 10 years fearful not really knowing what's going around him or what's happening around him and as, as he's lost his faculties every time I showed up he would light up every time you know sometimes with Alzheimer's you, you they'd lose recognition of their loved ones never happened not with me. He always recognized me, and he recognized me something internally, like this, this person is going to care for me. Something never left him, like this person is safe, and he's caring for me. When I'm in his company, I'm safe. And I knew that. I always knew that. But then when he was sharing with me how he doesn't believe in God, I said, do you believe that God sent me to you? And he said, I believe that with my whole heart. And I said, well, if you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. Now, now we can debate the theology around that all you want. Um, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is what Yeshua said when he sent out the 70. It is this way in this day. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It is part of God's plan, though. There's a mystery with, these, with this end times spreading of the, of the word of God. You ever read the book of, at the end of Deuteronomy, and it's time for them to go into battle, and God starts to reduce the army size intentionally. He starts giving people excuses. If you have to go, go, you just recently married, go home. If you have a garden, go home. If you, you know, had some bad food last night, you gotta, you know, gotta stump belly aches, stay home. Whatever it is. Whatever excuse, he allowed people to have an excuse. The reason being is that he can do mighty things with a small amount of people. We see the same thing with Gideon. You know, it's like, reduce, reduce, reduce. Have the people go before the water. And those who, like, bend down and lap up the water, nope, they're not going to be part of it. The ones who kind of take it in, in their cup, like, cup their hands and drink it that way, they'll be in the army. This debate about what that means, Rashi says that the ones that went down and lapped it up like a dog, they were, they're used to bowing before nature, so they're, they're, they have a propensity towards idolatry, so that's why they were removed. That's a fair understanding of it. Um, but the reality is that God reduces the amount of people almost intentionally so he can be glorified so even though the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few god can do amazing things through the few but in this hour it says after this let's plead for more laborers 
And God needs more laborers. He wants more laborers. He wants all of us to be available for this. So in summary, be passionate about living between the holies. Between the holies. Be passionate about it. We need to be passionate and zealous for righteous living. Don't negate that at all. God wants a spotless and holy and perfect bride. Never going to be perfect. Just like the song, you get knocked down, but you get up again. Exactly. Be like Chubba Wubba. Right. <laughs> but never lose your zeal for living between the holies. The Kiddushim. Between the holies. But when he gave us that new mind and that new heart, he gives us a gift that is absolutely, 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 absolutely needed in this hour. So go manifest. If they accept you, they accept him. And they accept him, they accept Hashem. And remember that. In Yeshua's name, amen. <laughs>